My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. <laughs> Off again this with is your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? audio-visual experience. We provide the audio, and your mind's eye takes care of the rest. So relax, sit back, and unwind as the great Susquehanna synchromystic sage Mike Wan shares his story of a 33-day journey from east to west coast and back. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy this conversation here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with me, Mystic Mark, and the great Mike Wan. From that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running. If we each have a destiny, or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze, But I, I think maybe it's both. The world. Remember this day. Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, was deeply conflicted about his creation. He and other scientists and engineers knew they were in a race against Nazi Germany with the survival of civilization hanging in the balance. He knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu was trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says now I am become death the destroyer of worlds I suppose we all thought that one way or another Yeah, yeah, dog. Then you take the blood tree. You talk to God. 
seeing him. You hear his voice, and you see his disciples. They appear like <laughs> angels under a sea of black umbrellas. Angels can see through time. Here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, plus your handbook for the apocalypse, which if folks haven't tuned into it already, I would describe it as a lo-fi adventure through the lives, the curious lives of myself and Mike Wan here. And Mike, speaking of curiosity, just ventured off onto a multi-week trip that got him from... Pennsylvania to California, all the way back up to Maine, and now back to the home of the Susquehanna River. But Mike, welcome to the shows, plural. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. It's it's good to hear your voice, and it's good to be back in the saddle again and to be recording a show. Agreed, agreed. And before, when we last spoke, if my memory serves me, we were discussing mostly a story waiting to pierce you. And I feel like in the past few months, your life has really kicked up in excitement, so to speak. I've heard you self-describe yourself as a homebody, which surprises me because I never considered you that. But you certainly abandoned that <laughs> that description this summer. You were not a homebody. You actually had no home. Your home was right under your two feet. So you want to tell us about that and talk about, I mean, the, how this really all connects to the meeting with the Masons and, and how this, because people who've listened to your handbook for the apocalypse, they're, they're somewhat on the path with us, right? They've, they know up to maybe gnome countryside, your story. We talked about gnome countryside. We talked about Baltimore. We talked about the Mason meeting, but these events all sort of fall like dominoes one or after one after another. And there is a, a missing link, at least on my part, over the past few months, I've, I've been particularly out of touch with what's going on in your life. So I'm really grateful here now for this opportunity to fill myself in. And then maybe even the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy listeners who haven't already checked out our Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, maybe they can go and catch themselves up and, and what we're about to say might make a little bit more sense. But with that in mind, let's proceed. 
Let's proceed. Thank you very much for that wide open space of storytelling of what we're about to jump into. And I appreciate the 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 link to that Freemasonic tale. Like I I've talked about it so many times. Like, you know, if 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 you're a listener that listens to mine and your stuff, you probably heard this story ad nauseum. But it's really, really the 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 foundational jumping off point to where we are right now. And so the 32nd story is like in January of 2022, we gave or I gave a presentation, but you were there for a bunch of Freemasons and on the Susquehanna mystery. And since that moment, since that moment in front of the Freemasons, and there was some 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 thought at the time that possibly it will lead to a ritualistic sacrifice, which certain levels perhaps it did, and on certain levels it obviously did not. It has brought me to where we are right now, and specifically that journey, which which was completed the the thirty three nights on the road going cross country. So when we tell this story or when I'm telling the story and, and, and I look at the storytelling as, as gonzo conspiracy, synchromistic storytelling on one hand, hopefully it is interesting slash entertaining, but on the other hand, it is maybe a demonstration. Hopefully it's a demonstration as to the nature of reality and the gonzo aspect, meaning that all of this research has has me in the center of the storytelling. The reason why I'm in the center of the storytelling is because that's the only thing I could really speak on with any true authority, which is my own experience. And I would say that's true for most of us. So, so that being said, let's pivot a moment and talk about Story Waiting to Pierce You, a book by... Peter um, Kingsley. Peter Kingsley, which which has been in the backdrop of our conversation for at least a year now. And in that, in that sort of highly recommended book, short story, it deals with a possibly historical, possibly mythological character known as Abaris, the, the Mongolian shaman. And he was, and his trip as an arrow circulator going to visit Pythagoras and circulate this arrow which he had with him as he traveled around the lands and more or less purified the lands. And this that book spoke to me for a variety of reasons, but the most the most poignant, I suppose, would be the fact that I made a friggin' arrow five years before I even heard about this book. And so when I read that story, there was this kind of like sixth sense aha moment, like, holy shit, was that why I was making this? What's going on? Why did I make this arrow? So with that being said, the the Freemasonic event occurred January 2022, which led to a disintegration of how I was living in my life, how I was living my life at that moment. Where I was living, I immediately had to move out of that surroundings. I found myself living in Baltimore for a bit. I found myself living in the Amish, the Amish countryside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
And then from there, I moved to an ancestral home of mine where the, the first wands appeared in the new world, at least according to Ancestry.com, in Berks, in Berks County, Pennsylvania. And then from there, I left in the spring, returned back to the Susquehanna River, where a lot of this journey began for me and was there for maybe about a week. I performed a wedding ceremony and then I took off on a, on a cross country road trip. So that should kind of like bring us, hopefully that'll bring, bring us to a good starting point for where I want to get into the story. Does that make sense to you, Mark? Absolutely. And to clarify for folks who aren't in on all the details already, you were not alone. Your adventurous partner, as far as I've gathered, sort of helped kind of spurn you out of your hermit hole. And I guess she she was a big part of making this trip happen. So we can't leave her out. Shout out to Christy. Without a doubt. Without, so Christy, we were referring to Christy. And when we started this trip, there were a couple of of touch points on the trip, which we knew we were going to use as the springboard of this trip. But those touch points were really just like for inertia purpose. Let's get this ball going. Let's prime the pump, knowing that we were stepping into the great mystery. So Mm -hmm. the first thing which we knew we were doing was that this was going to be an arrow circulation journey, just like Iberos. We brought the arrow with us. We In the spring, we made two trips, car trips down from Pennsylvania to Florida. So we went from the middle of the country down to the bottom of Florida and back. We did that circulation. And now we're going to go from east to west with without really taking it any more than that. Like saying like, okay, this is a thing. It, like the this this our lives are somehow like, interweaving with the mystery of of quote-unquote fiction and we're game for it so so that was part of it not knowing what would happen but 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 that was there and another part of what we were doing was we wanted to quite literally intermingle waters so right before we left the trip we filled up two canisters with of of water from the susquehanna river And having identified a a few significant rivers, what our plan was, was we would go to those rivers, we would empty the water from the Susquehanna into that river, and then refill up the water from the river, which we just emptied the Susquehanna River to. And this is, and also we we did the same thing with stones as well. And this is an ancient practice, a way of being of how all of our nomadic ancestors interwove their lives and saw their lives as being part of the the you know the metaphorical and literal landscape in which their lives took place so we're like okay let's 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 take that as part of our trip you know let's let's incorporate that let's let's add that element into what we're doing so that is how the trip began and we did that in a variety of rivers and then the the third part the third mystical part which we we had as our, our touchstone in our trip was we were going to go to the Sequoia National Forest in California. So that was the the Western destination of the trip. Like we weren't just wandering aimlessly. We're like, okay, we're going to go from here. We're going to go to there. And then we're going to come back. 
And the part of the reason for going to the sequoia, so if you're unaware, the sequoia is, it's a tree that grows in a very, very specific location in the mountains in California in a very specific elevation between, I think, only grow, that only grows between 6,000 and 8,000 square or feet above sea level. And these are quite literally the tallest trees on earth. And if you're familiar with the Susquehanna mystery, which deals a lot with understanding the ancient practice of river goddess worship and the fact that the Susquehanna River, which is probably the oldest, if not the oldest, like the second oldest, you know, it's in that like very, very small group of ancient rivers. It's the oldest river on the planet, but it's also the place where we've got the first computer, where we've got the first electrical distribution facility. It's where the British empire began. It's where the United States began or Jamestown, all these like firsts happened there. So the Susquehanna mystery is tied into that, but it has a, 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 another historical connection, which is to a, a Celtic, a key Celtic river, like before the, the Roman empire expanded throughout Europe, when it was a Celtic, when the, the European continent was more of a Celtic culture, the river, which we now call the Seine, which goes through France, which Paris and splits Paris, that was initially called the Sequana. Right. And the Sequana was a was the the peak of the the river goddesses in that culture. And so the people who named the Susquehanna are, you know, their Rosicrucian heritage and they have a connection to the Celtic heritage and all of this. And so the point I'm trying to make is the hidden name or the esoteric name or the occultic name of the Susquehanna River is actually Sequana. And so what we were doing is we were bringing, we were coming from the Sequana to the Sequoia. We were going from the goddess, which is what the river was, to the ultimate symbol of baseline reality, masculine, you know, the phallic of the tree, the Sequoia. So in a way, we're playing with this archetypical alchemical marriage of the the merging of the, the divine feminine and divine masculine. So all of these sort of ideas of like intermingling waters and and a barris arrow circulation and the 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 alchemical marriage, like all of that was the backdrop of what would become an adventure, which I'm still, you know, at this moment, we're recording this one August 22nd, the calendar year 2023, like. I'm still trying to ground in what exactly occurred. So, so that's kind of like, that's, that's, that's level two of our preface. So before we go any deeper, so let me give you an opportunity for questions or clarifications. So we haven't even left Pennsylvania yet. Cause I have your, your map here that you posted to Instagram and as far as we've made it in the story, we haven't even left yet, right? I didn't miss something, did I? Exactly. Okay. We're, we're, I'm just, I'm just set, I'm just setting up. I, I'm just setting so. up. 
the 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 preface and we're going to go we're not going to go town we're not going to go day by day we're not going to go event by event because well, it's been it's three months, months so yeah <laughs> but what i want to do right now to give you a flavor of what i mean by like what the hell did we just participate in mm -hmm. so i'm going to go and explain to you the level of synchromistic madness. And the reason why I gave that big setup for like all of this, like archetypical sort of intention is because what I'm going to tell you is just like, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. So, okay. The nature of the Abaris arrow circulation was to purify the land, which, and we're going to come back to this, I, this theme again, but that has to do with death and rebirth. And in the, in the Peter Kingsley story, it's all about the rise and fall of civilizations and the mysterious forces that are behind the scenes. So a couple days ago, or maybe, yeah, like two days ago, the, the, the big story, or at least the, the story that I paid attention to, which is on the national news. Can you tell me if you're familiar, if you've heard this story? And it has to do with Palm Springs, California. Are you aware of what's going on in Palm Springs, California? No, I know a few things about Palm Springs, California, but that's near... Joshua tree, isn't it? Exactly. It's, 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 it's near Joshua tree. So two days ago, they received a great more rain fell in a period of time in, in, in Palm Springs than for as long as they've been keeping track. Well, of and things. to clarify, correct me if I'm wrong, but that also Palm Springs, like that's a, historically dry area there was once what the Salton sea there that's now completely dry possibly i mean that would make sense i i that sounds a little bit more you sound a little bit more well versed with the palm springs geological history than i am but the point is they had they are flooded they are flooded out in a historical flood wow okay all right so exactly 40 days earlier Exactly 40 days before the flood, on July 12th, I had a meeting on my trip, on our trip. We met in Palm Springs with Emily Moyer. You know who Emily Moyer is? Of course, yeah. She's been on my show, Esoteric America. She's been on your show, Esoteric America. And I've done, I've done I would say, um, other than you, I've done more shows with Emily Moyer than anyone else. And... We met in person for the very, very first time in Palm Springs. We had lunch together and it was on July, on July 12th and we met there. So if you think about the, as I said, the, the nature of the, the purpose of the trip, this purifying of the land, this arrow circulation, I go and I meet with Emily and one of the things which Emily and I talk about, we explore the idea of, of like the true nature of people's elemental makeup and what happens when different people of different types of elemental makeup come together and its impact on experiential reality and how that is really some of the top secret stuff, which is being done by all of like, you know, all of the, the, the intelligence and agencies. So we go and we meet in Palm Springs 
40 days later, there is a biblical flood that hits there. So 40 days is kind of interesting as it relates to biblical floods, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. And right, because you already know that. And do, and, and do you know the, do you know the chapter, do you know, the, 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 the chapter in the verse from the Bible in which he tells the story of the biblical flood. I'm going to guess it's 40. No, it's chapter seven, verse 12. Okay. Or July 12th. <laughs> so exactly 40 days after that, when we're on our purifying, on our purifying mission, when the first time that me and Emily actually are come face to face, when that electrical energy of the elementals, whatever that is, like it happens, the very location we were has an unheard of in their history event. And it matches perfectly with the type of programming, whatever the hell the Bible is. We do know that the Bible is strong in the collective consciousness of a, a, a purification ritual. And so that, my friend, is kind of where I want to begin. That is just like one piece of multiple pieces of this, like, what was this journey that just took place? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And the arrow has a implication of the air element, which is a big reason why storms happen up in the air. But anyways, wow. Wow. Whatever that may be, like, I'm not going to go and push in too deep into that. Like, whatever it is, it is like, you know, I'm not saying anything more than the fact that this stuff is happening and that's not the only time it happens. So, so, so let me go and, and, pull out a couple of other of the interesting pieces. I'm just going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to piecemeal this conversation. Cause as I told you, like, I'm still trying to understand what exactly has happened and keep in mind this trip, this trip, which you, me and Tara met last summer and the conversation of a cross country trip, was in the works for me, but that did not materialize. It did not materialize until this, this very, uh, until this, this, you know, until it actually did. And it's all tied into this death, rebirth, Freemasonic intelligence agency, synchromistic, what is going on sort of journey, which, you know, seemingly has been the, the, the life path, which I've been leading at least, you know, for as long as we've been cataloging it on your handbook to the apocalypse. Well, and I'm sure Emily was all over this, but Palm Springs, big military industrial complex connections there. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure like the generals and whatnot from like San Diego and Los Angeles would go and have their resorts back in the fifties, like all the, the Hollywood military type people. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Wow. Like when you begin to look at that part of the world, I would say from New Mexico to Arizona to Southern California, it is all military industrial complex throughout it. Primarily air force base, or at least that's what's on the surface. But yes, that history, those, the, 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 the history of our the known history of our military industrial complex and the 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 bases that are located throughout that area whether that's roswell whether that be area 51 whether that be whatever whichever of the other ones you want to go and and talk about that the jack parsons and alistair crowley 
moon child rituals. This is all the same general landscape. Okay. Mm. And so like, this is, this is where the real interesting stuff, like, as I, I look back, I got a couple of different stories, which I want to go and share with you. And they're not, it's still also so kind of fresh and raw. What's nice about this conversation we're having right now, Mark, is like, it's, it's, it's fresh and raw that it's not, I haven't formalized it into a concrete narrative yet. So I'm going to tell these different touch points pieces, but they all take place or they're strongly connected to that area, which, which to me, what we just indicated are are, are clues as to, you know, what, what actually is going on there? You know, what happens there? What, what, what is the nature of reality where, where the, the bleed through magic happens so strongly? All right. Take it away. All right. So I'll start with this one. And this one's a little bit more general, not so specific to me. I've always wanted to take a trip cross country and really for the experience, Experience. Like there's a, you know, there's kind of like a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a mythology of that cross country trip. And I wanted to do it for the experience, not so much for like any specific places I wanted to go, just to, just to, to have the experience with one exception, there's one exception of a place which I wanted to go. And I think I mentioned it to you and Tara last year, like the real place I wanted to go was New Mexico. And I don't know why, but, you know, I'd always been drawn to New Mexico, I guess. And I'm usually not drawn to places. I've been to Arizona. I've been in Nevada. I've been in Texas. I've been to, I've been to places, the states that bordered New Mexico, but I haven't been in New Mexico. So how the trip unfolded, we arrived in New Mexico late one evening, probably pulled in a little bit after midnight. And as we were getting close to it, we weren't going on a major road. We're coming from some back roads in Texas. And the only place where we could find to stay was a, a campsite in the northeast corner at a place called Oasis State. All right. And the very next day, the very next day, we get up and we had to continue going west because we were going to go and stay with some friends of ours about five mile, five hours to the west, but still in New Mexico. And we're looking for, you know, where's a place where we can get a cup of coffee? And the closest town, probably like three or four miles from where we were staying, was a town in New Mexico called Clovis. All right, small little town. Mm. But from a synchronistic perspective, Clovis has a really, really big implication. Do you know what that implication may be? Well, I've heard of the Clovis culture, which is like an archaeological term pertaining to the so-called timeline of the Native Americans, which I think many people are starting to question now that certain research has come out. Is there, is there more to it than that? Oh, brother, you just, <laughs> hit, the you just hit the bullseye. So by no means am I an archaeologist or an anthropologist, but you know, I do read Wikipedia. <laughs> so the Clovis culture, like the, and it's just like, as you said, it is a, a, a controversial telling of, of, of history and controversial meaning like, 
it, not everyone agrees that this is how things happen. In fact, like over recent times, the, the, the mythology around the Clovis culture is, is showing itself to be less and less accurate. But that being said, the Clovis culture is said, and it was taught in your kind of like your, your Wikipedia style history or mainstream history, that the Clovis culture is the culture of the first inhabitants of what we call North America. Okay. And there are Clovis culture archaeological dig sites all throughout North America. And they are identified by like their flint made tools amongst other things. And so they're found all over the place, these Clovis culture archaeological digs. But the name Clovis, the name Clovis comes from a very specific dig. And that dig is Clovis, New Mexico. All right. Wow. So that's the so ground no, zero of this theory, of this hypothesis. It's, well, so it's, I, I don't, I, I want to use the word difference in theory. I'm going to say of this story. Right. So this story, this dream, if you will, is sewn into the fabric of the collective consciousness and the, 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 the material, the, the terra firma in which we walk on, you know, on earth in the land of New Mexico. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, that's a, that's a mental, like, I'm like, okay, I just flow, put that away in the mental Rolodex. But when you look at the map, when you look at a map of, of, of New Mexico, you'll see probably 50 miles away. And there's a, there's an air force base. I think it's called Cannon Air Force Base, which is located in Clovis. And it's associated with another Air Force base, which is found about 50 or 60 miles away to the southwest. And guess what that base is? Area 51? No, that's Nevada. But you're very close in terms of oh, cultural. Is it Los Alamos? No, it's Roswell. Oh, shoot. <laughs> so now we've got Roswell and Cannon Air Force Base and Roswell Air Force Base. They have like a history. So they have a history, like a military history connection. But now we also have Roswell. And Roswell also, just like Clovis, just like Clovis, is ground zero for where a story a dream right. is both sewn into the collective consciousness, possibly, very possibly a mythological dream, meaning like it didn't actually happen, but a story which is put into the collective consciousness and it's tied in and sewed into the very fabric of our terra firma there in the same land. And that is New Mexico. And so whereas Clovis is where people are meant to envision, imagine, because all of this is just in the imagination. This is a story which people are taught that goes in the back of their mind and no one ever thinks about it again for the majority of people. That, oh yeah, the very first people that walked on the earth were going to go and link it to this particular land, which, you know, you said where all the military industrial complex and weird stuff happens. You know, that's where the Clovis culture happens. And that was like in the late 30s. And then in the mid forties, then they said, "Oh yeah, the, the little gray people, little gray, the 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 the, the aliens. This is where we're going to go, and we're going to have that dream connected into the collective consciousness. And now this is also linked 
in the same area. So now we're seeing two things. You know, something happens, you know, one time it happens, it's random. Two times it happens, it's coincidence. Three times it happens, now we got ourselves a pattern, right? And what are these patterns? These mythological stories which are being linked in to a particular place, okay? So you mentioned the third. You mentioned the third mythological story, which is tied. Just a moment ago when I asked you, you know, what do you think is the, the Air Force or the, 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 the place which was near Cannon? And you said Los Alamos. Hmm. All right. So now we've got three. And so what am I talking about that? So I can't say this for truth. I don't know any of this stuff. If it's true. I don't know about the globe's culture. I don't know if there was real, there was a real aliens in Roswell. I don't know if there are real aliens at all. And I don't even know if there are really nukes. But I know the same organizations are telling us that all three of those things happen and all three of them are meant to go and create fantasy into the minds of people. And so we see all three are connected to the same state, the state of New Mexico. All right. Do you have any idea what the motto of New Mexico is? The state motto. So in all their license plates. The land of enchantment. The land of enchantment. And what does enchantment mean? Enchantment to be... Type it in. To Go be, type it into, your, into the Google search box. All right. Well, I get bonus points for knowing that it was the land of enchantment, but I did not oh search that, folks. Now I'm searching enchantment. Let's see. <laughs> this A state of being enchanted. Well, let's find out what enchanted means. Well, well what's the second definition? The act of enchanting, something that enchants state of the state of being under a spell. Ah, of being under a spell. So we have tied into all of this, like geological, this land. You know whether it's functionally true or not. We know that this land is tied into. Casting spells. Hmm. And what did we just, what did I just point out? That this land goes and has three, which I pointed out, you know, New Mexico is a, is a, is a relatively sparse state without many big, his, big cities and big histories. But now we've got these three very controversial things that are tied into this place, which may or may not have happened, but are definitely are part of the backdrop of the dream weaving, which is casting a spell upon the collective mind of what the nature of reality is. We see this as all happening. And I'm witnessing this, like on this trip, this mythical journey driving through where I just, the only reason why like this popped in my mind is because I'm at, because of the randomness of staying at Oasis State Park during the drive through Right. Okay. So we're just gonna like you know, you can we could go and, and and if there are any other points or observations, you know, now might be a good point for you to to share that. But but this is just like one little piece of the story which I want to add in right now. Mm. That 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 would be it because I want to go elsewhere and come back to this in a moment. But before mm. I do that, I want to well, give it, you your space. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it much, but I was aware of it. I've seen the license plate. 
having or seeming to have a magical quality is another definition of enchanted. But another enchanted place that has a narrative attached to it is the petrified forest out there in New Mexico. And there's a whole line of thinking that goes with that where people might have other theories that go against what the people at the petrified state forest will tell you caused all that to happen, right? We look at all that and they say, oh, well, it was, you know, pressure and, you know, it was thousands of years of sediment and pressure. And it's like, okay, well, why are all these things above ground and not underground then if pressure made them into stone, right? So maybe there's something we're not being told about energy and how maybe energy can turn things into stone. And I was having a conversation on the podcast just a few episodes ago where a guy was telling me, a guy named Topher Gardner was telling me that in the Renaissance and medieval times, they would carve statues and things out of wood and then they would blast it with this plasma charge and turn it into stone. And that's how they have such beautiful stonework over there in Europe that even today we couldn't recreate because, you know, the according to Topher, there are no polish marks on this. So not to go on that tangent really any further, but I think it's all part of exactly what you're describing, this narrative of materialism, right? Where, you know, geology holds all these secrets and because we're all told, you know, kick rocks and all this, these other sort of, you know, phrases and anecdotes, people don't really consider the power of crystals and things like that because we're, we're told that, no, these are just ordinary materials in a dead, hollow reality when that's just the biggest lie I can think of. So anyways, that's a tangent for you, but without a doubt, the the petrified national forest is is certainly like a, a, a place for pause, particularly for anyone who wants to lean into the question like, what the hell is really going on on the material level. Hmm. But I wanted to go and bring up something else, which I know is close to your heart with New Mexico. And that would be truth and truth or consequences, New Mexico. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I think you even messaged me the day you passed through there. That is correct. And so truth or consequences, New Mexico has come into particularly a, a synchronistic perspective into the 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 realm because of the works of food. I'll answer the question if you don't know. Michael Hoffman and James Shelby Downer. I, I I would ask the question because I just it, it it was a little garbled. I couldn't hear you. It sounded like oh, you I said an saying, acronym. Where where did where did how does truth or consequences New Mexico fit into also this synchromistic sort of understanding of reality? And it comes through the works of Michael Hoffman and James Shelby Downer. Right. For they wrote about it both in King Kill thirty three. Okay. And they wrote about it in Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, specifically as an example of mystical toponymy. Am I pronouncing that word right? Toponymy? Yeah. And toponymy is the study of named places, of how you name places, how you place a name onto a specific area 
And the mystical aspect and what they're talking about is primarily through a, 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 mod, a more modern Masonic perspective of being able to, to create reality through name places. And the very fact that truth or consequences, New Mexico, which is on the 33 pair, the 30, this is just like the James Shelby Downard and Hoffman work, what they're, what they're suggesting is its name is pointing to the fact that it is connected to the the king the ki- kill the king ritual that happened in Dallas, Texas, on the same parallel, which is one of three things that need to occur for the whole sort of like Masonic ritual of world domination. The other one is the the breaking down of terra firma, which happens in Los Alamos. In truth or consequences is a representation of the audacity and the boldness which must be taken for anyone who is thinking that they can go and control the world in such a way. Mm. So, so that idea, the things which I'm pointing out is, is of, of, of Clovis and of, of, of Roswell and, and of Los Alamos, they are in, in, support or they dovetail with that exact same sort of identification of this land of enchantment, which was, I believe, first identified some, you know, four, 50 years ago. I think that's when, when King Kill 33 first was released. So, so we're seeing all of this happen and, and, and kind of like what I'm describing right now is really like a, what I would say a research perspective, like, you know, this could theoretically be done from a, uh, you know, from any sort of computer terminal with internet access. Someone could go and do this sort of research and make these sort of connections. Okay. Yeah. So now we're going to go and we're going to turn it gonzo because I already told you, I already showed you with the Palm Springs that, there's a strange bleed through with the intention of this trip, which I began before knowing what I was getting into, having a grounded on reality on these certain alchemical levels and river blending levels and, and a barest purifying levels, like some weird ass shit's happening. Well, and can I just add something real quick? Excuse me if this is something you're about to say, but truth or consequences. I mean, that town isn't that old its name comes from a game show that existed what in the 60s or so on and uh and yeah through some contest they decided to change the name of the town to truth or consequences which in itself is almost like a breaking down of you know tradition in a way i mean you can extrapolate that to breaking down other things but I think, you know, when we think of how places are named, it's typically, you know, it goes by proper nouns, right? Like, or a describing word, you know, and that's about it. We don't really have many examples of places named after television game shows. I think that might be a a single example of that in the world. Yes, and that's a perfect segue to where I want to go with it. Unless there's a Jeopardy New Zealand or something like that. (laughs) Price is right, Illinois. (laughs) And so what you're pointing out is you're bringing into this, this, this equation, this story, the role of Hollywood. Okay? 
So upon on the trip going out, going west, went through Clovis, stayed in a small town called Daddle, and then continued out through Arizona, spent the night then in a right off of the 10, the highway that connects Phoenix and Los Angeles in the shadow of Joshua Tree National Park. There's a, a dry camp, a place where you can camp. And we, we slept there that night or one night and where this dry camp is located. And I, I don't know the name of the town or I don't know how to pronounce it. It's right next to Desert Center. If you were looking at a map right now, Desert Center, California, there is a General Patton Museum. And when I stayed there, I made an Instagram post and I talked about it. I talked about like military industrial complex. I talked about Joshua Tree National Park. I talked about how Joshua Tree has been linked into the collective consciousness by name to like the, the, the um, U2, the, the Irish supergroup of like the 80s and 90s, and how U2 is named after the U2 spy plane, which was a CIA plane, and how this, whereas maybe let's say U2 is no longer a viable um, culture creating tool. Also in the same land is Coachella, which has become possibly the world's largest music festival, a.k.a. largest like culture creation, sort of right. one of the largest culture creations. So so that was that was put into play. And so we're just going to leave that there that I spent the night there. And the next morning was the 4th of July. It was July 3rd that uh, we, we stayed in we stayed in uh desert center behind the patent museum and arrived in los angeles and for a variety of reasons at the time i was a little bit resistant and hesitant but it, it eventually made sense we spent the evening of the fourth of july on the santa monica pier you know what the santa monica pier is yeah, it's like when anybody pictures Los Angeles, it's like the quintessential boardwalk on the West Coast. Exactly. Like what I would imagine would be like the worst place to be for a thousand reasons, particularly on the 4th of July. Well, and it's, it's like a huge setting for any road trip movie, too. Like anytime. Yeah, well, a, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So what was really funny. So let's go back to 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 Michael Hoffman's work where he talks about the role of Route 66 in terms of the mystical toponymy right. of the creating of America. Like he, There's a whole chapter all on Route 66. Route 66 ends on the same Santa Monica Pier. Like there's a. There's like a marker that says the conclusion of Route 66. But I'm out there and I'm actually having a good time. Like the people watching was fantastic. I'm like, this is, this is much, I was, a li- I was actually dreading. And the only thing I was really dreading about the trip is, oh my God, I don't want to be on I didn't want to be on Santa Monica Pier. And it turns out to be, I'm having a fun time and walking around when all of a sudden it hit me that one of my favorite films of all time, the setting of that film is the Santa Monica Pier on the 4th of July. July. (laughs) What movie is that? Southland Tales. Southland Tales. Okay, I've never seen that. Southland Tales was the film 
Patrick Kelly made after Donnie Darko. Okay. No one saw it. Had like you, I highly recommend seeing it. I think it came out in 2006, 2007. Really interesting cast. I'm, I'm pretty certain that when you go and you look at the, the Wikipedia, like the snapshot of Southland Tales, where it tells you its total box office, so the amount of money, revenue, which it generated, it literally says $375,000, which is unbelievably small. Like, you know, you think about like blockbusters do $100 million in a weekend. So a $375,000 grossing film is like the biggest dud. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. But it's got a huge cult following. It's particularly gotten a huge cult following over the years. And like Donnie Darko, it deals with some really, really interesting and trippy topics. And why I liked it is it deals with quantum entanglement and alternative timelines kind of like my hot buttons yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised my, that's your favorite <laughs> so i'm finding myself when the setting of a film of a hollywood film and we know like i've talked about hollywood films you and i have talked about hollywood films plenty of times from the show and how they bleed through in reality and the whatever the magic of the sorcerers of hollywood i'm finding myself by happenstance on the setting of this film about quantum entanglement as I'm on this mystical journey, all this sort of stuff. And I'm just like, I'm, I, 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 as I make this realization, like I kind of start laughing out loud, like to myself, people probably think I'm nuts, but I realize that the game's on game on. I am in the quantum entanglement setting, or at least the symbol of it, as I'm going through this, like literally like, you know, that's what the, the, the intermingling of waters is from a like a non from a non quantum physics perspective is like you know that's what entanglement is like you're purposely trying to entangle one's life with the very nature of the makeup of our reality that's part of like what the, the intermingling of waters interconnecting all parts of life between one's life experience and where they're having their experience. And now I'm seeing this happen uh, through Hollywood magic. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever brought me here has brought me here. And I'm just watching. I'm now watching after, after going through this land of enchantment, what's going to happen next. So the, the, the evening kind of plays itself out and we're, we're kind of hungry and we want to have this quint if we're at on the Santa Monica pier on the 4th of July, you want to have your quintessential sort of like Americana experience. They have all these probably food stands, which have been around for 60 years or so forth. But because it's the 4th of July, the lines are incredibly, incredibly long for any place you might want to go except for one restaurant. There's one restaurant on the entire place, on the entire pier, where a table was available to eat. Oh, my because gosh. Of that, you know, like, you know, the options, the, the choice is made for us. Like, sometimes you'd be like, oh, I'm going to make my own choice. I'm, the, I'm the, the captain of my own ship. And sometimes, like, you know, life forces your hand. So I like it when life forces your hand because that way you know that it's not, it's not convoluted or contrived. It's like, you know, it's more... It's more the way that life is directing you. So guess what? The, it's a restaurant which I would never in a million years want to go and eat at. But 
I'm eating there because I'm in the quantum field. I'm in the quantum entanglement world. And this is the only place to eat. Mm-hmm. To guess what the place is. Well, I did see your Forrest Gump Susquehanna Alchemy post. So I'm going to say Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. <laughs> Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Like, like I, to me, like I can't imagine like a worse place where I'd actually want to go and <laughs> But like, that's where we are. And I'm laughing. Like, you know, at this time, like, like, like you you get to a point sometimes like when, when, when you just like, you throw, you throw in all your, throw down all of your, 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 your armor. You're like, I'm just going to go with, I'm just going to go with it. I'm on Santa Monica Pier on the Flip July. I'm just going to go and just eat at the bubblegum shrimp and laugh at the whole thing. So that happens. Next day we go to Sequoia National Park. Actually, no, two days later. Really, where we went the next day was Malibu. But two days later we go to Susquehanna. We go to Sequoia. We go and have like the Sequoia thing. We're like back into the wilderness, all this sort of stuff. We pick some people up at the airport, drop them off after a week, and Christy and I begin our trek back. Okay. And on this trek back is after going to dropping someone off at LAX is when we go and arrive late at night at an Airbnb and we stayed in Palm Springs. The next day is when we met Emily Moyer, which I already made reference to earlier in this conversation. And then after that, went right outside of Sedona and spent a couple of days there in Arizona. Had a really nice time, met up with some people there. Went to a place called Montezuma Well, which is really, really an, an actual oasis in the middle of the desert there. And from that point, we begin heading north into Utah to go to Monument Valley. Okay. You know what Monument Valley is? Yeah, it's the very picturesque scene of the mesas from Forrest Gump when he's running with the big heavy coat and hat on. With the big heavy coat and hat, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a, one of these areas, like you mentioned, the petrified forest. You're like, how the hell did this happen? Monument Valley is one of those places where the landscape, you're left with like, how the hell did this happen? And you're told, oh, well, wind, wind causes. Wind is the cause of this. You're like, well, how can wind didn't cause every place to look like this? But that, nonetheless, that's Monument Valley. We're driving up there, and it's right in Navajo Nation is what that area is known as. And it's very, very, very remote. And we're also going through the midst of a record, a record heat spell. You know, Arizona had like eight days in a row of 110 degree highs, all sorts of stuff. And we're driving. I can't believe that the car made it. The car made it the whole way. And we're driving along. We're looking at the stuff and, you know, just, you know, being present in the moment, but then also having the capability of witnessing, like, you know, this is, you know, there's, there's something, there's something which is unfolding. And so as we're driving into Monument Valley, where we have an Airbnb, where we're going to stay in a teepee, we're standing in a teepee in Monument Valley. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I see a sign, a road sign, and says, this way to the Forest Gump Scenic Point. <sighs> and this is July 7th. So this is, or excuse me, it's July 15th, which would make it 11 days after the Bubba Gump quantum entanglement experiment began. So here we are, 11 days later, 
And like out of nowhere, like I, I think I, you know, I was aware of the Bubba Gump, but I hadn't really been thinking about it. But all of a sudden, Forrest Gump shows itself right in the middle of Monument Valley in a really, really like mystical place. Like you can't go through it, like regardless of what someone's viewpoint is, or like something special happens here. And I see that. And it had been a while. It's been a while since I've seen Forrest Gump. I probably saw it like 20 years ago. So I quickly go and search. I'm like, well, what, what's this Forrest Gump? What's this Forrest Gump? What is this Forrest Gump reference to? And after, you know, some quick sleuthing, what happens is you, in, as you, you rightfully indicated, there's a famous or uh, one of the more iconic scenes from the movie is Forrest Gump was running in that, in that exact spot. That's where they filmed that, that scene. But it's not just some random scene within the film Forrest Gump. And Forrest Gump had a huge impact upon collective consciousness. And I say that because of, you know, how many people have seen it, you know, the oh, amount yeah. of views that it went into the consciousness. I guess we can measure popular culture that way. It so was, many people yeah. have seen it. I'm not afraid to correct you and say he was running. <laughs> he was running you're absolutely right so what happened in the movie Forrest Gump if you remember like Forrest Gump finds himself like in all of these locations that happen to be major turning points within history during his life like he happened to be like you know in the backdrop of all of these important sort of places and then in the middle of the film he starts running and he just runs and runs and runs. And then in the film, people start to follow him because he's just running. He's got this long beard. He does never explains what he's doing. And people make this assumption that this guy seems to like, you know, he's got all the answers. He knows something. That's why he's running. And people start following him. And he stops running at some point, like in the movie, like he starts running for no reason. And then he stops running for no reason as well. But now, you know, it's been a period of time since then he's run across the country a few times and it marks a turning point in the character of Forrest Gump. Like he stops running. He realizes like I've been running and running and running and now I no longer need to run. So it is a very symbolic a very symbolic moment in that character's life as told in that film. Mm. So why is that interesting? Because 11 days earlier, I just quantum entangled with, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I was in the quantum entanglement setting of Hollywood and I ate at the Bubba Gump shrimp house, knowing that there's quantum entanglement happening. Now Bubba Gump showed Forrest Gump shows up again at in the movie at the turning point in his character's life as told by the film. So I'm left with the question, is this a turning point for me? Well, and that's sort of where I was like on the tip of my tongue, I was about to ask you, like, you know, you've, you kind of felt like after that meeting in media, Pennsylvania media <laughs> of all places, it kind of felt like you started running in a way. I mean, you even were saying before you went on your trip that, you know, you didn't want to do as many like podcasts and whatnot. I might have the timeline mixed up a little bit, but I mean, d does that reflect yeah, how you felt? You are absolutely right. 
Because one of the things that happens to anyone who's going to take like a, any type of major pilgrimage, whether it's a cross-country road trip or, or you're, you're walking the, the I'm trying to think of the, the famous trail in Spain, famous pilgrimage. The El Camino. Like the El Camino Trail, thank you very much, is one comes face to face with certain existential questions. And so this is forcing me, you know, this is going from like, just a synchromistic type of journey to like a really real question. I'm like, all right, Mike, you're going to play synchromistic. Like all of this stuff is lining up. And if, if you are symbolically connected to this, like this fictional character, and this is where he had his turning point and where he is stopping running, well, then what are you running from? You know, you got to go and ask yourself these questions. So, so that, so that immediately pops in my mind, but I'm still doing research. And if you're familiar with the, if you're familiar with the, the, the movie, the movie Forrest Gump, he specifically says when he stops running, he says how long he'd been running for. Like he says, he says, I have been running and I'm going to quote it for three years, two months and 14 days. So that gives me, so I know the end point. How do I know the end point? Because it's happening. It's like right now. The end point was July 15th, 2023. So I had to go and do some basic math. And so try to guess what that, that, that beginning point of where they're running. 2020. Mm-hmm. So May 1st, 2020, it says here on your Instagram. May 1st, 2020. And that was the day I moved into the church. Right, right. And you posted a video on May 29th, your 30-day update of living in the church. Yeah, because I moved in 30 days earlier. Wow. So now this like completely like, you know, so half the fun of being a synchronistic is you realize how fucking nuts it sounds to someone <laughs> who doesn't think this way. And I realized how fucking nuts it will sound. I'm like, whoa, well, I was in a site, and I, or I was in a location where a movie took place, where something happened with Pomp Entanglement, and then I ate at a, at, a, at, a, at a chain restaurant, and then I saw signs. So obviously, this has to tie into me specifically. But then when you go and you follow the signs, you see how amazingly bullseye spot on, because I moved into that church because I was running. Yeah. I was, Right. And now I'm like, this is really getting close to home. So again, I'm asking myself, I'm not trying to answer any questions because I was saying like, yeah, I'm going to go and take this, this trip and, and intermingle the waters and I'm going to go and, and, and go from Sequoia to Sequoia and I'm going to carry the arrow and I'm going to do all this sort of stuff. But like, it's still like the truth of the fact of like, you know, I still am a, uh, uh, a human being who's got, who's identified with a name and a history and a past and all this sort of stuff. And like, I'm like, okay, well, what is going on? So I'm asking myself these questions. So, well, this is, this is the second to last point. Actually, there are going to be two more points which I'm going to bring up. But we're going to kind of like, we're going to, we're going to pause the Forrest Gump thing right there. We're just going to like, let it sit. We're going to let it sit. The fact that this is, this is so, so 
accurately spot on in the same way that the 40 days after being at Palm Springs leads to the their biblical flood after meeting Emily, the 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 lining up with the church. You know, we got another one of these like these religious things, <laughs> these religious points of reference, because I'm certainly playing with the top some of the top influencers on the collective consciousness, that being Hollywood and the Bible, not saying that either one of them are real, but saying they're real enough that they affect the way that mind works and mind is real. Mm. We go and we stay at this TP and the TP is, it is run by a, a young Navajo man. who has got a little entrepreneur. He's got this, this Airbnb sort of business going on. And I'm talking to him. He's telling me all about what he's got, what his, his stay is. We're literally staying in a TP right in the shadow of these monuments. And the guy's name is Sky. Just remember this Sky. His name is Sky. In and Navajo the next Nation? Day, I'm sorry? You were in Navajo Nation? We're, we're right in Navajo. Yeah, that refers to a very large area. But yes, wow. he's a Navajo descendant in Navajo Nation. And we're staying in, you know, a teepee, which he rents out through Airbnb. Okay. And also, it's right by the town of Goulding. You can go look this up. Goulding is a small town right in Monument Valley, which has Hollywood history because it was set up to film Hollywood Westerns in the 1950s. Right. So after staying a night in the TP, we leave and we continue on to Crestone, Colorado, which is probably about eight hours away. And we go and we stay with one of Christie's old friends. And Crestone is a really, really interesting, strange town into itself. But we arrive there and this old friend has a, a trusted companion, his dog, his dog for 12 years. And the dog was, you know, it's an older dog, it's 12 years old, but it's not that old. And in the last week, in the last week, like really, really got real sick real soon. And the dog dies while we're there. And we buried the dog. And this guy is like really like a deeply spiritual individual. And he was immensely connected. That's probably the, his, the most constant, the biggest constant he had in his life for the past 12 years was his relationship with his dog. And so that was a big deal that we were there. Yeah. And so we stayed like a, another day or two and we buried the dog in this really special place in a pet cemetery, all sorts of things. And the dog's name was Scott, just like our host, Navajo Nation. So now we're starting to see this, this life and death, you know, this life and death rebirth, all these sort of different sort of themes are showing themselves. And we, after, I think it was like five days in Crestone, we, we head back down and we head back down to New Mexico and we're going to go and stay in Santa Fe. And we go to arrive in Santa Fe and we're supposed to stay with someone. And the night before we're going to arrive, I got a message from him. He was like, listen, you know, some things happen. And unfortunately I, I can't, I can't house you. There's a place you could camp and blah, but you find Airbnb, good luck. You know, you know, it's just, that's the way things are. Sorry. And from that, we kind of scrambled and we found ourselves in Airbnb. And the Airbnb, we thought it was going to be in Santa Fe, but it was actually in the town, probably about 30 miles south of there of, of Santa Fe called Madrid. Right. 
And Madrid, and this was my favorite place. So everywhere we went in on this trip, Madrid, New Mexico was my absolute favorite, favorite place. Why? We stayed, we just thought it was like a Airbnb. And it wasn't a regular Airbnb. It was an Airbnb, but it was also a movie ranch set, meaning that it is a place where Hollywood comes and they can film there. Like the primarily, I think, has been used for TV, like episodes of Breaking Bad have been filmed there, Star Trek and stuff like that. And it was called the Scarmonga Movie Ranch. But Scarmonga is the name of the character from a James Bond film. So now we've got both a touch of Hollywood, literally staying in, ho- in a Hollywood location, and we also have a little bit of another CIA touch, like U2, when we were in the U2 setting at Josh, which we also has, a, has an implied CIA touch. So we got all this stuff going on, and we rolled into town on July 22nd. It's a Friday. And... I was checking up to see what was happening in the news at that time. And it just so happened that that was the day that the Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer was being released. <laughs> so this wasn't planned, but we roll into to, to Madrid or when the Christopher Nolan film is like in the collective consciousness. And you know that we've talked about Christopher Nolan films and how that bleeds over somehow strange way into at least my experiential reality time and time again. So if there's a Christopher Nolan release, which is on the day which I roll into a town, well, that's kind of a big deal. But the movie Oppenheimer, specifically about Robert Oppenheimer and his work on the Manhattan Project, which takes place in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is about 20 miles from Madrid. Madrid. It's pronounced Madrid, but spelled like Madrid. So now I'm literally rolling into a Hollywood set as, as we've already entangled with the Hollywood magic with a filmmaker I've already had some sort of strange quantum entanglement connection with at the location where this movie is supposed, the setting of where this movie takes place. So I quickly delve into like, well, what, what is Madrid? What is Madrid all about? And so Madrid was a coal mining town. It started as a coal mining town. And not only that, it was a coal mining town that had an anthracite mine. Anthracite is the type of coal we find under Scranton. 99% of all anthracite in the entire world is found underneath Scranton on the Susquehanna River. 1% of all anthracite is found throughout the rest of the world. And one of those mines just happened to be Madrid. And they used that coal, which they were mining from Madrid in the late 30s, for a top secret project where they were shipping it 30 miles away to Los Alamos. So now I'm literally staying at the land where they fueled the, 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 the project of the movie, which is, which is unfolding in real time before me. So I'm like, all right, what's going on? Particularly from Oppenheimer, who is best known for his, for his quote, and I've used it many times before, before realizing that it was a Christopher Nolan film that, that Oppenheimer quotes from the, from the Vedic texts. He quotes Vishnu saying, I have become death. Just as we did this death rebirth ritual going through, going through the, uh, going through the, the Monument Valley. 
And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, what is going on? Because I'm still, I'm still wrapping myself with the question, this force gump question, what am I running from? All of these sort of things. And then while we, we spent three nights at this, at this movie ranch and while we were up there, and this is like really, really remote. We, it was a, a horribly, a horribly horrible condition, dirt road up a mountain to get to this movie ranch. And right off of this movie ranch is a very well-known cemetery for the area. It's called the Madrid Cemetery. And it's well known because it's just weird and strange. And so I went and I saw, I went and I visited it during the day and Chrissy didn't leave the, we were staying in a covered wagon, a, a Conestoga wagon, which had been converted <laughs> into an Airbnb glamping experience. Really? And I was like, let's go at night. I saw it during the day. She didn't want to go out because it was so hot. It was like a hundred, felt like 115 degrees. But once the sun started going down, we're like, well, let's go walk over to it now. And as we walk over, like the cemetery is, is, is a hundred yards from where we're staying on top of this very remote mountain, we start hearing the music. And what happened, what turns out is the very night we're there is been a, is going to be a death metal concert, a festival, five different bands playing all night. So here we are. In the Oppenheimer place, Oppenheimer, best known for his quote right after supposedly dropping a bomb at the Trinity site, which was talked about so much by Michael Hoffman and, and, and James Shelby Downer, where he says, I have become deaf. And we are stepping into the cemetery, listening to the death metal music for the festival they've been planning for two years. It's not a regular thing for them to have these, these festivals. And I'm like, what is it which is, go which is going on? So as all of this is happening, and I'm still kind of stuck in the middle of, of just in, on the top of the mountain in Madrid, trying to figure out all the stuff which is going on, I'm still thinking about the forest comp, what's happening, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research, like trying to see other different angles of what other people say that forest comp is about. I go and I realize that there is a key metaphor for forest comp, and it's this metaphor which you see in the opening credits, it's a metaphor that is used again in the closing credits. And every time that there was a key moment in the Forrest Gump story, this metaphor shows itself again. And do you know what this metaphor is? The feather. It is a feather. And if you recall, right before this journey began, I discovered that the Algonquin word, and Algonquin is the language spoken by the by the Susquehannocks, the Algonquin word for feather is Mike Wan. Whereas I am the feather, if I want to go and say it from that level. And I started thinking of myself metaphorically as a feather, as the one that, whole, uh, that guides the arrow that I am carrying. And so now I see, is Forrest Gump running from everything, or is he the feather that's being carried by life itself? And so it is with that mark. I want to kind of wrap up this story here, which you 
who afforded me this, this very wide berth, this very big stage in order to tell this seemingly disconnected random story of my synchromistic 33 nights. And, and the reason I say that is it wasn't planned to be 33 nights, but there is a, a wink and a nod to whatever Freemasonic implications 33 may be. But yes, that is how it wrapped up for me. Wonderful. Well, that is very interesting. I do remember Forrest Gump running through Maine at multiple, I don't know, I remember the the quintessential like symbol of Maine, which is the red and white lighthouse. So I don't know how many of those you visited while you were in Maine, but as a New England guy, I would be really missing the missing out if I didn't ask you about the appendage to your 33 day trip. Do you have time to tell us a little bit about that and anything? I mean, we spoke about the statues, which were very high quality, one of a kind, unique. You just so happened to have that little exchange with the artist. Do you want to get into that? Yes. But before we move on to that, is there any sort of comments, questions about the overall trip of the West before we pull in Maine to the equation. Sure, sure, yeah. So it's very interesting, the whole Oppenheimer tie-in, especially with the death metal concert going on there. But just to kind of reiterate, Los Alamos is right over there. So this is where all of this stuff has gone on. Yes. And the Manhattan Project took place there. It's very weird stuff. So this is what I, there are two more points which I want to add to this. So I made a, a reference in the first half of the trip to U2, specifically the military industrial complex, U2, military entertainment complex, the controlling of reality through entertainment, all of these sort of things. The day we re, the day we return home, actually it was the day before we return home, the death of Sinead O'Connor is announced. Sinead O'Connor is is can be thought of synchromistically is is maybe not interchangeable, but certainly in the same category as you two, because they both were Irish popular music performers who were culturally relevant at the same time, which is the late eighties, early nineties, and Sinead O'Connor's best known piece of music was a song called nothing compares to you where it's spelled with the number two and the letter U, which is the reversal of U two. They've always been interchangeable U two and Sinead O'Connor. And the fact that Sinead O'Connor dies upon our return, whereas after that late eighties, early nineties piece of U2 and, and Sinead O'Connor's cultural relevance. U2 continued to be massaged and bathed in all of the, all of the, the trappings and all of the rewards and goodies of being a good cultural soldier where Sinead O'Connor's life became more and more of a, of a downward spiral. So that was certainly an interesting piece to the equation as well, which goes into this death rebirth element, which seemingly follows me, whether or not I was carrying it or not, we will see, but I would say that the Biblical flood at Palm Springs certainly points to the nature of the element of the energy which we invoked 
in the beginning of the trip. But that, it, but that theme of death and rebirth in literal and symbolic ways shows itself time and time again. Mm. So, so that is, that is kind of how I want to wrap up the main or wrap up the, the trip out West four days after returning. It was, it was strange. The entire trip, it did not rain once. It did not rain once on our trip. As soon as we got back to the county in which in which we are residing in these bell tents right along the Susquehanna River, a storm blew up. It's been raining a lot. I, I, I heard it had been raining a lot all throughout the Northeast while we were gone. But the storm rolls, comes up into the sky as we're probably five, ten miles away. And we had to pull over on the side of the road. The, soar, the storm was so intense. It's not a, that's not a common thing to happen for, for either one of us to want to pull over because the rain was so bad. But we were greeted with that upon our return. <laughs> After three days, we then got in the car and then drove up to Maine for a, a four-day trip or a 10-day trip in Maine. I'm going to save the details of that trip and the purpose of it because there, that also ties into it for another time. But I will tell the one story which you did ask about. So we went and we went to a small town in, in Maine called Blue Hill. It's a seaside town and you know, population, I would imagine, a couple thousand at best. And there's a, there's a small little downtown, probably two blocks and in the middle of that downtown, there is an art gallery. And I didn't know this until I got there, but, and this, but I recognized it right away. The artist, whose name escapes me, is a renowned sculptor. And he's renowned for his sculptures of the Susquehannocks. And I came across his work when I was doing the Susquehanna mystery research, probably 2017 because I was trying to find as much information on the mysterious Susquehannocks as I could find. And, you know, it was just a matter of time before I came across his work. So I see that this is where his, his studio is and his gallery is these beautiful sculptures. And I go into it. I walked into it after we were settled in Maine. And when I walked in there, the artist was there. And he was in the middle of a conversation. He doesn't just do sculptures of, of Susquehannocks, but he does sculptures of Native American life throughout the Northeast. And the Susquehannocks are just some of the ones he's well known for. And when I walked in, he happened to be in the middle of a conversation explaining to the people. There were you know, probably like 50 different sculptures on display there of a variety of different peoples, You know, a lot of the Iroquois nation. But he was talking specifically about John Smith and and the Susquehannocks, something which I know very, very well. That's an area of research, which is the, the foundation, the cornerstone of the Susquehanna mystery. And I happen to have my backpack with me. And in the back of my backpack, I have like a flip book of the Susquehanna mystery. And included in that is I have probably a 18 inch by... 15-inch replica of the John Smith map of Virginia, which has an actual drawing which, which of a Susquehannock Indian, which is what he was talking about to this group of people of where he was inspired for his sculpture, where he knew what they would look like because the Susquehannocks mysteriously disappeared, and this was the only real known image of them. And 
as I as he was in the middle of explaining to these people about the John Smith map and the history of John Smith in Jamestown, I walk over. Not to interrupt, not to 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 interject myself in his conversation, I stand right outside of that circle and I take off my backpack and I unzip the back and I take out the map. And I dropped the map in front of him open where you could see the image of what he was talking about at that exact moment. And I just excused myself and went to a different part of his gallery as he sat there dumbfounded trying to understand how could some rando just drop a map of uh, 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 an obscure map of this thing which is at the perfect timing of what he's talking about. So that was that was my story at Maine with the with the Susquehanna. Yeah, that's incredible. And those statues, I think you either sent me a link or I looked at them somehow. Maybe you sent me a photo, but they're really, really spectacular, really well done. But yeah. All right, Mike, there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, one of the things that came to mind is, you know, the U-2 spy plane, which I don't know if you mentioned the CIA tested in that area. Uh, and it was downed. And then there's another thing. When you mentioned the Clovis culture earlier, Tara and I, I think like maybe even the day that we first talked, I don't remember exactly what day it was last week, but the day we scheduled this, it might have been. Tara and I went to a place in Avon, Connecticut, that is one of the earliest excavations they've found like earliest as in like going back the furthest of what they're they call a paleo indian culture and it's interesting that you brought that up because this was all this was discovered in 2019 when they were building a bridge and that was around the same time i was working for amazon delivering in that area and listening to your podcast but we only recently your podcast interviews rather but yeah, we only recently visited it. So it's interesting you brought up the Clovis culture. But anyways, lots more to talk about. And I do want to hear more about the main excursion because New England is a, a place that's close to my heart. It's also a very peculiar place. I think we could talk about for a whole two hours. But yeah, anything else you want to leave the audience with before we wrap up? Well... When I, before we got on our call today, I, I looked at the Drudge Report and I saw there was a story and, and I use a Drudge Report as, a, as a, a pulse for mainstream thinking. And there was an article talking, you know, about technology and, and you know, where, where where technology is heading literally the sort of things that you and I have been talking about probably for like seven or eight years now, but it's, it's, it's mainstream. Like, you know, that is filtering into like, you know, mainstream conversation things. I'm like, I can't believe this is, you know, people are even talking about this. I thought this was all just understood. And the reason why I'm bringing that up right now and putting it in context to what we just said, um, This, what, I, what, what, what I'm framing up as is 
as gonzo conspiracy sort of storytelling, but more so as demonstration is, 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 it's not meant like, it's not meant as a, a, let me tell you my tall tales. Let me tell you my, 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 my great stories. It's meant as a, and the reason why I go to such great detail to document all of the details, like with the dates and how everything happens when you look at it on Instagram is to show you that I'm not like making this stuff up. What I'm trying to do is show this is how, this is the nature of reality. Reality is a friggin' mystery. I don't claim to understand the mystery. I don't claim to know anything about the mystery, but I do claim to, to see some qualities of how the mystery works. And I do claim that I bring a very specific purpose into collapsing false narratives. And this story, which is becoming mainstream, which I made reference to, is a highlight of where reality is going. We are in the post-conspiracy era, or post-conspiracy theory era, meaning like this isn't theory anymore. Like all of these things, like this is happening. If, if a listener, you know, is, if, if a participant in life is still just kind of like watching this stuff and is just like, ooh, wow, that's, you know, what's, what's my latest hit of the novel weirdness as I continue moving along on this this conveyor belt of this 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 false reality which is being sewn or sung into existence like that's where it's going to go i am very much interested in being part of the movement of folks who've been awakened to the 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 backdrop stories which have been that have been revealing themselves really since 9 11 2001 and i tell these stories as a demonstration like this is how life works like when you what you are aware of and the mystery of life and the interaction between all of the different things that make up that go into our consciousness like it bleeds through and we affect it I'm saying that because I'm going to continue to do this stuff. Like since this, this, since my, 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 my interaction with that Freemasonic, since that Freemasonic presentation, like that experience that I, that, 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 that human, I don't want to say that human being, but definitely that person is no longer. You know, that's what the, for me, that, that Forrest Gump stuff is really about is like really becoming clear, like what and whom I am and what I'm not and what is the actual nature of being alive and then what am I doing at this time, me uniquely. And so I want to encourage like anyone who's, who's still listening, you know, this is, this is not everyone's cup of tea, this sort of show which we did today, Mark. But for those of you who are still listening, like, you know, really to, 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 to begin to look at your life and to what you're creating and what is the path which you're going down, because we're creating this together and we can collapse things together. And so, so there's that. 
I'm going to continue to do this aero circulation. You know, my next trip scheduled is I'm going to be down in, in St. Petersburg, Florida for six weeks in the, in the autumn. I'll be house sitting for my sister. You know, anyone who's going to be down in St. Petersburg, you know, happy to meet up with. And I'm doing more of these. One of the things which Christy and I did this whole, the whole way is the starboard integration ceremonies. And these are techniques for these, not the only technique, but these are techniques in how we begin to move off of all of the programming, which we've been part of, and we can begin to actually have our own influential experiences outside of the false reality. And so for those of you who are still listening and who want to participate, like, you know, hit me up, like, you know, this is, this is, this is what I'm doing now. Send me an email. We can do either in person or remotely some of these services. And, you know, let's, let's see where this, let's see how far this will go. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're in uh, a position that requires no need for apologies, Mike, because you are a great example for how people can recalibrate the direction in their life. I think, you know, following the synchronicity and the synchromistic, you know, philosophy that we talk about, you know, it, it definitely comes to people, but I don't know that people necessarily have a resource to really think through it. Cause you know, outside of a few books and these podcasts, there's not many people talking about this kind of phenomena. So yeah, I, I think, you know, we're in a, a, a position to owe you a debt of gratitude for being so open and transparent because that does put you in a vulnerable position. You know, anybody who's public about any aspect of their personal life, especially in the digital age. So and I think you you tread that line very, very with grace, you know. Um, so, yeah. No need for apologies on this podcast, but always great to talk to you. Always great to get the updates because your journeys are so fascinating and it is amazing to see how, you know, predictive programming or whatever you want to call it just happens to line up so synchronistically with your, your, you know, adventure and you are the guy. I mean, people can go back and look at your YouTube track record. You have been analyzing this stuff for quite a while. So it doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise you. But hey, that's kind of the fun of it when it surprises us. But until next time, folks, come on now. Go and listen to your handbook for the apocalypse. There's almost 50 plus episodes where Mike and I talk about these sorts of topics and much more and how it all weaves into pop culture movies books etc and i love it that you know you have this forrest gump and a story or a story waiting to pierce you overlap because i think those two books reflect each other in a in a or not books but those two con pieces of content reflect each other in in a slight way so but anyways, Mike, thanks so much. And listeners out there, support Mike. You can find him on Instagram, Susquehanna Alchemy. He's got a link tree where you can get in touch with him directly and even join him for this fall event that they have going on. So uh, yeah, check it out. And until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, and that was our conversation with my friend Mike Wan, and it is so cool to talk to him. I know he uh, made the disclaimer, oh, people might not be interested in this, and hey, that is a, a fair objection to make. Maybe you're listening to this, you're saying, why did I listen to this? Who cares about this guy's road trip? I think the connections, the synchronicities, the track record that Mike has, it all makes for a really, really fascinating story. And who knows, maybe someday people will have written books about a guy like Mike Wan. Uh, Maybe that's saying too much, but I am a fan of his and a friend of his, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. Uh, But you definitely ought to watch the movie that he recommended, uh, Southland Tales. And Southland Tales, the uh, clip that you heard at the intro, uh, that I'm not, uh, I got sold, but I'm not a soldier. I never really liked that song, to be honest. So if you heard that in the intro and thought, what the hell is this? That's from that movie. And it's a really compelling clip where Justin Timberlake uh, is, his character is speaking with another character and he injects himself with this red liquid and then begins to like, hallucinate and then this music video starts where he's singing that song so i haven't seen the movie but i will be watching it as well as reading a story waiting to pierce you and then mike and i will be doing another episode on your handbook for the apocalypse which is another podcast that i do Uh, you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts all you have to do is type in susquehanna alchemy that's s-u-s-q-u-e-h-a-n-n-a sus Q Hana or Hannah, like the name Hannah, Susquehanna uh, Alchemy. You just type that in wherever you listen to podcasts, and you should find that show. It's there among other shows that Mike is a part of. I made that RSS feed for him because I'm a fan of his work, and honestly, I, I don't really like YouTube all that much. And when I met Mike, that's where all his content was. So I said, hey. Why don't we do a show together and I'll also put all of your video content on the RSS feed to keep it there in case anything happens to the YouTube channel. Not that anything should. I mean, Mike's content for the most part is pretty, um, it's, it's off their radar. You know, maybe five years from now, they'll be looking into this type of stuff. But for now, Mike's conspiratorial research is off their radar and that's good. He's a real wise dude, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him about the trip he took through New England, where I live. Uh, Although I am in Connecticut, he went to Maine. I thought, oh, Mike, you should come down. He didn't get a chance to, but who knows? Maybe he'll uh, have an opportunity to come up to New Haven. If you're in the New England area and you want a tour of New Haven, that's what I do now. I want to start doing this more often, giving tours of New Haven. The weather's starting to cool off just a bit, so uh, if you're in the area or if you're planning on visiting the area, reach out to me on Instagram, and I would love to meet up with you and we can get coffee or whatever and uh, go for a tour of New Haven. So hit me up. Instagram is the best way to do that, and uh, do it now before I start charging people money for these tours um, be be here now on the trial run the practice run i also have a pdf available talking all about strange new haven um, 
so you can purchase that or you can purchase all three of my pdfs for one low price uh, there's a bundle available all at the ko-fi store that's ko-fi.com slash my family thinks i'm crazy it's a very simple website easy to navigate there's a bunch of stuff available there there's jewelry available um, also gotta give a shout out to all the people supporting us through ko-fi patreon rockfin or substack that's the best way to keep this show on the air at the rate that it uh, is published i mean think about it i put up three episodes a week this summer for the most part i mean who is doing six hours of content at this level with unique guests different topics and Greg Carlwood himself said this was one of his favorite interviews he's ever done. So look at that. I give some of the best interviews around. Uh, second to maybe Greg. Greg's Greg's the pro, and I do look up to him, and I'm very honored that he would join me on his show. But maybe I've got a little thorn in my side because a YouTube comment earlier th this afternoon said, why are you putting this Paul Stobbs interview behind a paywall? Don't you know that Paul gives the same interview to pretty much everybody and all his content is free on his YouTube channel? Okay, great, dude. Go watch that. Go listen to that. I put stuff on YouTube to promote the show. Really, that's just like having your business on Main Street, you know? It's a lot easier for new people to find the show when it's on YouTube. But um, yeah, that, that definitely bothered me because I'm like, hey, man, my interviews aren't like anyone else's. So yeah, Paul Stobbs might talk about the same stuff with everybody, but I asked questions that he may not have anticipated. And we went into realms that he may not have ever gone into before. And I do plan on having him back on because that episode was a classic. Everybody loved it. So yeah, no, no way to get me down, throw shade, be a hater. It's just going to bounce right off of me. And I don't really care, to be honest, because this is a podcast I put out for free. That Paul Stobbs interview is available for free wherever you listen to this podcast. But then again, the YouTube people, they don't get the outro. They don't get the intro. They just get the video interview. And quite honestly, I don't know. I think some people prefer to put a face to a voice so that's why i put that out there but i honestly think that the better version of the show is right here i put more work into it for sure although i do make uh, different intros for the uh, video version of the show that those comprise of different clips and animations and things like that but um and music but i can't use uh as much music or as freely as i can with the audio platforms on YouTube so yeah it's just uh, there are factors involved that limit my creativity on that platform and I'm just not motivated to uh, pursue that now if I had a bunch of YouTube supporters that would change that hence why I put a bunch of interviews behind the paywall and quite honestly why would I put all my interviews on YouTube when people are paying for them on Rockfin right so that commenter can get fucked because I don't really care, but I do want to address things like that for anyone who might be confused or not understand why not all the content is on YouTube or why it's not on, on Rockfin. I prefer audio. 
that's why I got into podcasting is because I prefer audio. But I do want my show to grow so the show can be successful and I can focus on this more, dedicate more time out of the week to researching for each guest and all the good stuff that comes with producing a top-tier podcast. We are in the top 1%. Actually, we're in the top 0.5%. So out of the millions of podcasts out there, we are beyond the 99th percentile. We are in the top 0.5%. So that's thanks to you, all the listeners of this show. Don't stop now. Support the podcast. Get bonus episodes that you can't listen to here. And also you get early access. And like I said, you get the videos of each show. And sometimes it it matters because we have certain guests who present images and other things like that. But for the most part, this is an audio show. And if you find us on YouTube and you're listening here, I would love to hear from you. I want to hear from the people who found us on YouTube and then transitioned to audio listening. So if that's you, send me an email, send me a message, uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll give you a shout-out. Next episode, I'm going to be doing the shout-outs for five-star ratings and reviews. And, uh, yeah, I definitely think that we need to uh, spread the show as far and wide as we can, but I only have so much time in the week, so I can't be putting everything on YouTube I try to put all of it on Rockfin. Not every guest has a camera. Not every interview I, I feel up to put my camera on, believe it or not. Sometimes I'm a little shy. but uh, And also, I think I focus better when there is no uh, cameras on. But that's a different story. So, yeah. Anyways, a little look into the background of this podcast. Although most of you might not care if you tuned out already. Great. But for all of you who are here... I love you. Love that you listen to the whole show. I hope you like the outro music because I'm going to be getting some more of it soon. And yeah, please, if you haven't already, go and listen to your handbook for the apocalypse on the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast feed, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's with me and Mike Juan, and Mike also has a show there with Ross Ben, and he also has some solo uh, video episodes where... It was a video, and I took it and turned it into audio. So you can listen to it if you're driving or whatever. But it's great information, and you don't necessarily need to see what's going on in the video. So go and check that out, Susquehanna Alchemy, wherever you listen to podcasts, and support Mike Juan at Susquehanna Alchemy on Instagram. The links will be in the description. Of course, linked in the description is the number one way to get lit. That's right, that's the hit kit. Hit Kit is the number one way to get lit. And I got to tell you, folks, I love the Hit Kit. I think the Hit Kit is a, an everyday carry for me. Whenever I leave the house, if I'm planning on going somewhere where I'm going to smoke, I roll it up and stash it in the Hit Kit. It's always ready, reliable. It's there when I need it. I won't reach into my pocket to find uh, Scooby Snacks and lint all mixed together. Maybe that's never happened to you. Maybe you're more responsible than that. But I know, stoners, you can be a little irresponsible here and there. You might forget some things here and there. So the Hit Kit's going to help you out with that. So uh, use the promo code CRAZY. Save 15% at checkout. And we've got a new sponsor. It's a clothing company called Gulag America. Uh, Go and check them out. You can use the promo code CRAZY10, I hope. 
Uh, I'm not going to do an ad read for them just yet. I think we're going to wait until September. But uh, go and check out the clothes. Let me know what you think of a sponsor like this. If you think this is a, a good uh, alignment of brands, and let me know. If you don't, well, let me know too. And that's about it for me, folks. Thank you for all your support. Please send in the one-time donations. It really, really helps. It comes in big time. Uh, Venmo, at Mystic Mark, PayPal, at Mystic Mark. If you enjoyed this episode, send us five bucks. Send us five bucks. All right. Take it easy, folks. Immerse yourself in the moment, wherever you are in the now. Terrestrial, trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals. But I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw bomber from guns. Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you can stick with your old ways. But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collar, pure American made. Fuck it. Keep your blood so terridish And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for a military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to gold up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up can Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me my family thinks I'm crazy Anything out, so...